Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. There was a time when the person who entered law enforcement, they may not have looked forward to a big paycheck, but they did look forward to the respect of their community. Now, there was never an easy job. It was never a job that was entirely thankful. It was often a thankless job. But nowadays, the public sentiment in some places, especially large urban centers, has turned so much against law enforcement. One wonders why anyone would take the job. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Friday, September the 8th, we're going to talk about the vocation of police officer. Pastor Paul Norris joins us. He's pastor of St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Delphi, Indiana. He served as a police officer for 10 years in a suburb of the Dallas Metroplex. Pastor Norris, welcome. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me on today. How would you compare and contrast the vocations of police officer and pastor? Usually I will tell people when they ask me that, I will say that uh, my vocation has changed from law to gospel. I would say in many respects, they're sometimes the same, but now I don't get to just deal with the law, but now I'm able to console people with the gospel as well. Had your time as a police officer in any way prepared you for the pastoral office? I would say my wife would shake her head and say yes. It definitely makes you a better listener. You have to listen to folks when you're a police officer. That's probably a lot of what we do. The other thing I think that it's helped us prepare is that police officers, we realize that there are issues and problems that people are dealing with. And I don't think the average person always considers that, but uh, these people that are facing different challenges and issues, are they're also in our congregations. And uh, if we're better listeners, it makes us able to hear them and, and to understand their problems better. I would say also, too, though, that it does make you unafraid to speak the truth as well. It is difficult as a pastor to speak the law to somebody, but it is necessary to speak that law. And so I guess it gives you some courage in that aspect that you're able to do that. Did you notice any changes in the public's attitude toward the police during your 10 years in law enforcement? I would definitely answer that with a yes. When I first started in police work, so that had been probably around 2004, 2005, I can't remember exactly, but it was still, I guess, considered a, a noble profession by the public. And you're able to get some level of, of respect. People, even if they disagreed with you, they would respect your decisions and your instructions in a situation. But I would definitely say as time went by and definitely towards the end of my career, we would routinely hear comments like, well, you can't tell me what to do. Or they would become very argumentative during our interactions with them. What did you make of the movement to defund the police in many large urban areas? Uh, that one was really tough for me. Honestly, I was really hurt by it. 
I don't have a problem with people criticizing corrupt police officers or the unlawful use of force. Those things are wrong, and, and those who do those things should be punished. They have, in a sense, betrayed the public trust. But it, it was hurtful, I guess, on the level that police officers in general were painted with such a broad brush of being uh, brutal or, or racist. And really, this is just a false narrative. An overwhelming majority of the men and women of law enforcement that I worked with, either in my agency or when we had to assist our other agencies, they're all people that have families. They go to church and they really just want to serve their community and protect the innocent. They don't head out every shift looking to specifically violate somebody's rights. In fact, most officers I know are appalled when they hear incidents of brutality or wrongdoing, and they want good policing just like everyone else does. Police officers obviously are sinners too. So what checks and balances should be in place to try and prevent police officers from abusing their power? There are a, a lot of checks and balances already in place. And I was just thinking, and so I stepped away from police work about seven years ago now. But even then, the technology was so advanced. I mean, there's very little that a police officer does that isn't monitored in some way. I mean, there are cameras in the police car that are activated when you turn the lights on, uh, the body cams. Lots of agencies nowadays have GPS trackers in the patrol cars and dispatchers can see exactly where the cars are at. I was the night shift supervisor. And one of the things that I did once a month was to audit the in-car videos. So I would sit down and watch random videos and just see how my officers were interacting with the public. And there was a few times after watching a video uh, where it actually was an interaction where a citizen would have been validated in filing a complaint against the officer and, and they didn't. But I would observe that and I would actually pull that officer into my office. And sometimes there was discipline. Sometimes there was uh, some counseling on that. The things that could help better with that is training. I know, I know that sounds like a maybe a common thing for folks to say, but training is is really good. I mean, we we only perform as well as we train, but that's a difficult task for especially smaller departments who uh, don't have as much money as some of the larger departments. Why did you enter law enforcement? Well, in all honesty, it was a childhood dream. I mean, you get to drive fast and have lights on your car and carry a gun, and, and it is kind of a, a childhood thing. But really beyond that, it was a desire to help the public find a way to serve my community and, and serve my neighbor is really what it came down to. What would you say then basically is the vocation of a police officer? Well, uh, to discuss that with uh, some of my fellow officers at the time, or even now, I have a couple police officers in my parish right now, and it's kind of a little tongue-in-cheek phrase we'll say is uh, to fight crime, suppress evil, and save lives. It is tongue-in-cheek, but it's nonetheless, it's true. I mean, crime prevention is the largest part. Police officers are out there to be on patrol and to be seen. They're out there to keep the peace to protect the innocent, to mediate disputes. And unfortunately, sometimes for folks, when they violate the traffic laws, they do get citations and to take uh, those who do evil to jail. That's really the vocation of a police officer. How do you deal with the danger of the job? I don't think about that too much, but I think it's a lot like, and I served in the military as well, 
dangerous situations. And really our number one concern is uh, as a police officer is the victim and really the other officers as well. It's a band of brothers. I really didn't have any doubt that any one of my fellow officers would do anything that they needed to do to protect me. And I believe that they would know that I would do the same for them. It's really hard to describe. I I don't consider myself an extraordinarily courageous man, but there were instances where after we had responded to a call and dealt with a particular situation, I, I might sit in my patrol car and I'd think, oh my goodness, what in the world did I just do? I mean, that was so dangerous. And I think it kind of gets you after the fact. I think what makes police officers maybe a little different is they're cut from a different cloth, if you will. They take their vocation seriously, but they worry about the danger later. Their number one priority is protect the victim, protect the public, and their fellow officers. It's not really about them at that particular time. I'm often asked, what is a typical shift on a police uh, department? What is that like? And again, I would it's maybe a little tongue-in-cheek, but it is kind of true. It's like I would describe a typical shift as nine hours and 58 minutes of pure boredom which is broken up by two minutes of sheer terror. (laughs) How do you deal with the thanklessness of the job, in particular these days? That is a tough one, and I I think that's something that is on a lot of officers' minds. I mean, it does eat at the morale of the officers. Even before the current anti-police climate, there's still kind of a sentiment that no one really wants the police around until they actually need the police, then they want you there right away. But I mean, I knew when I started this vocation that it was a vocation that was often met with not a whole lot of thankfulness from the public. I can say, though, that I was proud to serve in a community which which I do believe valued its officers, and we did have a lot of public support, and they made sure that they showed appreciation to us, and that goes a long ways. Even something as simple as people saying thank you after you help them in a particular situation, that can change an officer's day to know that he's appreciated just a little bit. What uh, stresses does being in law enforcement put on an officer's family? Man, my wife probably could answer this better than me. It is a difficult question and not difficult in the sense that it's difficult to answer, it is difficult in the respect that I know I know that my family suffered greatly because of my vocation as police officer. I worked the night shift for most of my career, so I missed any number of school programs, recitals, and even just the simple family time that other families get to enjoy. I do remember one Thanksgiving, and I had I think I had recently been promoted to sergeant and we were having Thanksgiving dinner and I actually got called away from the Thanksgiving dinner table. I had to respond to a major incident. And I know for my wife, and she did support my career and and I definitely love her for that. Um, But I know that she also lived in constant fear that I might not return home from my shift. I know that weighed on her pretty heavy. And not so much stresses on the family, but I think it also kind of changes police officers a little bit. I mean, they are always dealing with the criminal side, seeing maybe some of the the worst things in society that most people are maybe insulated from. And it does change folks. I I know after I left police work, my, my wife would sometimes pull me aside and tell me, you need to quit being so suspicious of everybody. Seeing that much stuff probably makes a guy cynical. 
My kids might say that um, they used to accuse me of doing police interrogations if I was trying to settle sibling disputes, but it did take many years to overcome my general suspicion and cynicism, I guess. But isn't that part of the vocation itself? You are, as a law enforcement officer, burdened with, whereas the average Christian is called to put the best construction on things, part of your vocation is to be suspicious and to expect the worst as a matter of your own personal safety and also just doing your job. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I never thought of it that way, but that is true. We do ask questions. We want to find out the truth and find out what happened. I think maybe the problem is where it kind of bleeds over into your personal life a little bit. It's it's one of those vocations, and this might be true of many vocations, where it's kind of hard to separate your vocation from your personal character. You know what I mean? It It almost kind of takes over who you are in all the aspects of your life. What is it like being lied to so often? I have police officer friends and they say that wears on you just knowing that you're going to be lied to nine times out of 10 when you're asking questions. And I think that's where it, to make my point, I think it kind of, that's where it bleeds over into personal life because you get so used to not being told the truth that you have to work to find the truth about stuff. And it does get aggravating, I guess would be a good word for it. It is probably a vocation where most of the time you're being not told, I guess, the best construction, not the whole truth about something. I recently had a long conversation with patrol sergeant, and I asked him what he would say to a young man wanting to enter law enforcement. And he kind of winked at me and said, well, I'd say good for you. Go apply to the academy. See if you've got what it takes. But then he took a beat and said, that's my official answer. My unofficial answer is don't do it run away from that <laughs> situation. What do you think is at work there? And he's a fine officer, by the way. Yeah. And, and I totally understand the sentiment. As I alluded to uh, when you asked about, did I see things change? I mean, it, police officer used to be, I would say used to be held up as a, a noble profession, as a person to be admired and respected in the community. That has really changed in the last couple of years. And it's hard to encourage somebody to do that. But on the counterpoint, I would say we also do need to encourage good men to be part of this vocation. Uh, uh, we need good people to occupy the office, and it's an office that our society needs. Pastor Paul Norris is our guest. We're talking about the vocation of police officer. He served as a police officer for 10 years in a suburb of the Dallas Metroplex on the other side. How do they deal mentally with the disturbing and difficult situation? Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the vocation of police officer. 
with Pastor Paul Norris. He is pastor of St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Delphi, Indiana. He served as a police officer for 10 years in a suburb of the Dallas Metroplex. In about five minutes, we'll be taking up our series with Pastor Jonathan Connor. Kids have questions talking about death and dying and sexuality. Pastor Norris, how do police officers deal with all the difficult and disturbing situations, sometimes repeatedly in the case of domestic abuse? How do they deal with that, and how does it affect them mentally? This is one that I I really wish there were a way to convey this better to the public. I only worked in a smaller suburban department, but even over that 10-year span in that smaller department, I saw so much tragedy and death and disturbing things, and, and those things don't ever leave a person. They do kind of stick with you, and, and you do remember some of those things from time to time. Uh, I can't imagine being an officer in a large city. I mean, the volume of what they witness is exponentially larger than what I experienced. But really, any police officer who's active or retired has seen things that I, I don't think the public really could imagine sometimes. It definitely affects your soul. Sometimes I, I even describe police work can be a soul-damaging vocation, it seems like, uh, even, even for people that are Christians. There's probably a lot of situations that I never told my wife about. And even if I brought it up now, I think she would probably be horrified and scared for me all over again. It's definitely some, I guess you could say, some baggage that comes with that. So talk about why many in law enforcement burn out. Well, I mean, I can definitely speak for myself. I think the big factor for me was the missing family time. But along with that is just the disturbing nature of the situations of the job, the darker side of society that you're seeing all the time. There's the political pressure, and that's nothing new. Political pressure has always been part of police work. Low pay. A lot of these officers in in smaller departments are just not paid very well. And certainly the thanklessness of it will get to a a guy after a while. I knew it was time for me to resign probably about a year before I resigned. I, I knew I just couldn't keep dealing with these things. And I actually did feel guilty about how much my family suffered because of my vocation. What should the public keep in mind when they view things like disturbing body video footage of police in the media. It's everywhere now. Yeah, I think the main thing, and certainly it is disturbing, and we do see things that I guess at first glance may not seem appropriate. You know, the news does a really good job of showing that very specific thing, which usually ends up being maybe at the most 30 seconds of a situation, And the thing the public needs to remember is that there's always context to these encounters. There are always circumstances that happen before the event that you're seeing the recording of. And there's things that happen afterwards as well. No, they usually don't show that either. And we think it as a public probably thinks it's easy to judge that situation and say, oh, well, that's not right. And I can bring up the example, uh, and this happened many years ago. The news showed a video of an unarmed man being shot by the police. That's how it was framed. And it's true, the man was unarmed, but they didn't really give the context of the situation 
Uh, it had been a high-speed car chase that lasted for many, many miles and a long period of time. And when that person actually exited their vehicle trying to escape, they actually grabbed their cell phone and held up their cell phone as if they were holding a gun. And that's when the police officers actually took the action that due to the force continuum is what police officers operate by was the correct thing to do. But once we have that context, it kind of changes the situation a little bit. What should Christians keep in mind as they interact with police officers? Well, as I was preparing for this week's sermon, I actually, this week's epistle reading from Romans 13, I think is really a good reminder for us Christians of who police officers are, what their vocation is, and who actually has given them the authority to it. And Romans 13 says, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I couldn't think of any scripture that was more applicable to how Christians should uh, interact with police officers. And of course, we remember our place within the Ten Commandments uh, and that falls under the Fourth Commandment, uh, that we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents or other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. These are all things I think we should uh, bear in mind as Christians. Pastor Paul Norris is pastor of St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Delphi, Indiana. He served as a police officer for 10 years in a suburb of the Dallas Metroplex. Pastor Norris, thank you very much. Thank you. Our series, Kids Have Questions, continues with Pastor Jonathan Connor on the other side of the break. We'll continue questions on death and dying and move on to sexuality and identity after that. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Are you looking for the historic liturgy of the Church and the true sacraments of our Lord administered rightly? Then we would like to invite you to Zion Lutheran Church in Pampa, Texas, where the Lord gathers us around His gifts of word and sacrament, and where heaven and earth come together. If you live in or are visiting the Northeast Panhandle of Texas, we welcome you to the Divine Service at 10.30 a.m. with Bible class and Sunday school at 9.15. Come join us where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, 
and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization, one student at a time. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681.